everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Jay Lemons. Welcome to Leaders on Leadership, brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. The purpose of our podcast is to share the stories of the people and forces that have shaped leaders in higher education and to learn more about their thoughts on leadership in the academy. I'm especially delighted to be joined today by Scott Miller. Scott is the president of Virginia Wesleyan University, a post he's held since 2015. He's regarded as one of the most entrepreneurial higher education executives in America. And his four presidencies in 31 years of service as a college president are extremely rare for higher education leaders these days. Scott has served as the president at Bethany College in West Virginia, Wesley College in Delaware, and Lincoln Memorial University in Tennessee. He's the author of six, author and editor of 16 books and more than 200 professional articles. For 16 years, he has served as the executive editor of President to President, a national thought series for college and university presidents, and for 15 years served as the chair of the Council of Independent Colleges New Presidents Program. Scott also serves as the chair of the Board of Directors for Academic Search, I might add. Uh, I'll, I'll be a little more lengthy than I normally am in these introductions. Scott and I go a long way back, uh, 1992, um, when each of us sort of unexpectedly found our way into presidencies at very young ages. Um, Scott reminds me from time to time that he was younger and earlier. He was more advanced, and that's true. Um, we ended up serving campuses separated not by very many miles and connected by one extraordinary great higher education leader um, who was a graduate of Lincoln Memorial and the longtime um, 35 plus year chancellor of Clinch Valley College now known as the University of Virginia's College. Scott, it's a thrill to have you here. Um, um, and and, um, and you know, it's true that uh, uh, we used to be the youngest people in the room, and it's uh, it's less so nearly 30 years later. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would also uh, want to acknowledge a special debt to you for being the person who initiated my call to serve academic search. Um, among the connections Scott and I shared was a close fellowship that involved a group of presidential colleagues from institutions that did not have a substantial admissions overlap that met twice a year for more than a decade. It was a program piloted by CIC and um, um, it was a remarkable group of, of women and men that learned and leaned on one another. And uh, uh, Scott knew, I should note from these intimate conversations that I was not gonna be easily separated from Susquehanna and that I really had a hard time conceiving of a third presidency. And he happened to see me hug uh, my predecessor, Jessica Kozlov, at a professional meeting and put together that I'd served both ASCU and CIC institutions. And the rest, they say, is history. And it's hard for me to imagine, um, Scott, how long ago that was, especially in light of um, it's now three and a half, three and three quarter years. And I just want to acknowledge that and say thank you, my friend, for opening that door along with many other doors that you have opened for me through the years. So welcome to you. Thanks, Jay. It's uh, always a pleasure to be with you, and it is hard to believe that so many years have passed since our initial service to higher education in those mountains of Appalachia. Um, and and I, I would be remiss if I didn't congratulate you on the good work you're continuing to do with Academic Search and AALI. These are our two critical organizations 
in the identification and preparation of the next generation of leaders for the academy. Well, Scott, thank you. Um, um, it was um, important to me to find something that was mission-based to do. And um, my cup runneth over um, <laughs> in, in happy ways. And, uh, and you know, um, I think I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this in a moment, but um, being um, uh, called to a post and being in the right place at the right time in one's career, I think is, is, in, is interesting. And, you know, maybe I'll just go right there and, uh, and, and, and I'll come back to where I intended to start. But, you know, Scott, you, um, you've been blessed to serve in four presidencies. I've always appreciated, and we've talked about this, your sense of being a catalyst for growth and progress and improvement, and, um, and also being alert, attentive to uh, an openness to new calls. And I think it would be valuable um, uh, for our audience to hear you talk about how you discerned, you know, the time was right for a new call uh, across these four decades of your service. Right. Well, if, if you trace my career start in newspaper work, because of my age, I always had to work twice as hard as others to make an impression. And um, that work ethic created opportunities. Uh, when I entered higher education as a 22-year-old writer, I had to continue that same approach. So I developed a reputation as a self-motivated, get-it-done kind of person. Um, I worked long hours, never complained about hours or salary, and took on all kinds of unusual um, assignments. So as a young president, I, I received some national recognition in a number of, of publications for my transformational style. That essentially branded me as a change agent. And as a president, I always have in mind a, a multi-year plan, my playbook per se. And no playbook is the same for any other institution, but the playbook is a highly energized transformational approach I find that the highly energized plan refreshes the institution for a three to five year period and really sets the tone for the next three to five years. Um, I, you know, I do tend to think that 10 years is a pivot point for a leader. Uh, after that period, you become predictable and in some cases complacent. Uh, some people that we both know go longer, but I, I tend to think that that's enough. Um, I, I also make it a habit to, to have had career advisors from outside the institution. Um, you know, you recalled in the introduction that, that you've actually been one of them. And uh, these are usually respected colleagues from non-competitor institutions that help me talk through career and life issues. And uh, so I've always had the philosophy that you can't discuss these types of things with, with insiders at your institution. So look to friends and colleagues in non-competitive markets that can do it from outside. Uh, and of course, you know, my wife has been along for this ride and has been my biggest critic and supporter. And it was, um, you know, years into that first presidency that she said to me, if we don't make a move soon, we'll probably stay here for the rest of our lives. And that wouldn't have been good for either one of us. So a, to a token of what my cutoff points and motivations for new institutions are. Thank you, thank you for sharing. And thank you for raising up the incredible role that Annie has played um, uh, with you in, in the life of these institutions. Um, uh, you're, you're blessed to have 
a great, great partner. Um, you, you know, I, I, let me step back here and, and, and uh, uh, you know, one of our goals is to ask leaders to be reflective and to think about their own pathways um, and with a hope that some of what has happened for you may be inspiring for someone else. And I, I, I would love for you to share whatever you would wish um, with our listeners and talk about some of the people or the events on um, the, the doors that opened that, that ultimately forged the person and the leader that you became um, as your journey in higher ed unfolded. Sure. Um, you know, my path to the college presidency was a really unusual one. Um, I'm a runner, a writer by trade and um, worked my way through college as a sports writer, a weekend editor and a columnist for a newspaper system in West Virginia. Um, I, I authored a weekly column that was called Miller Time that was sort of an offbeat commentary about sports in the Appalachian region. I'd probably get sued for using that um, these days. Um, one day out of the blue, I received a call from the chief development officer at a small college in Ohio. Uh, my writing style had caught the eye of the senior administration there and they wanted to know if I'd be interested in talking about a public information position. I'd be a bit of a jack of all trades, a speech writer and an editor for the president, a news release writer, and um, also sports information director. And for a 22 year old, um, it didn't pay much, but it was a nice position. And um, so my work ethic impressed the president. And uh, within a year, the chief development officer had left for a vice president's job in Tennessee. And I became the direct report to the president with a broader umbrella of responsibilities. Um, that's the first experience that probably turned me on to the role of the college president and the college presidency. It was such an amazing experience. Two years later, the departed CDO called me from Tennessee and said that his institution was looking for a vice president for advancement, <clears throat> and he wanted um, them to hire me for the position. So at age 25, I became the vice president for advancement at Lincoln Memorial University, um, became executive vice president at 28, and when the president retired three years later, um, I was named president. So. The journey from 22-year-old speechwriter to 31-year-old college president was influenced by a number of presidential mentors who've become uh, lifelong friends. And, and, you know, ironically, the chief development officer who advocated for me early in my career is now retired from three successful long-term presidencies and is now the executive in residence here at Virginia Wesleyan University. So... That's my um, interesting career path. Uh, I, uh, I recognize and deeply appreciate the reference to David Black. Yeah, um, he's a good one. He's a, he's a good man. Um, I, I can't help but not imagine that there were a lot of uh, taste great, less filling um, uh, criticisms <laughs> of, of, of Miller time. Uh, well, it, it's funny, I was, uh, you know, when I started using that moniker, I was 21, 22 years old, and one day, an envelope came in the mail, and it was from the brewing company, and I thought, oh, they're going to tell me to cease using their name, and instead, they said, we're delighted to see you're using it, here are some coupons um, for some <laughs> free beverage, 
Well, as a 21, 22 year old, you got to like that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, Scott, I, I, I can't help but reflect at um, uh, the similar nature of our paths that we, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but uh, uh, you went to West Virginia Wesleyan. I went to Nebraska Wesleyan. I was a sports craze kid raised in a home of educators, just like you were. Um, um, my, you know, I was, I, I arrived in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I was distressed that none of the television stations um, uh, from Lincoln and Omaha carried the scores from the panhandle. So I called um, uh, and, and said, look, I will string you scores. So I became this interface. Um, and, you know, I don't remember that lasting beyond the first football season, but, but I could have, I, you know, I could have had, uh, you know, uh, the lemonade stand um, as my column or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> so tell us if you would, Scott, what in your mind makes a good leader? And, and by good, I mean, I don't mean grade B. I right. mean, virtuous, effective, successful, um, and good. What makes a good leader? Well, there, there are many textbook and dictionary responses to that, but I'm going to go rogue on this one. Um, you know, in, a, in addition to the textbook definitions, I think that highly effective, successful leaders have a tra track record of honesty and integrity and self-motivation and an ability to multitask. Um, I think the real effective individuals hire well, care for the well-being of, of those individuals and then support them to reach their aspirations. Um, and then of course, the effective leader never stops learning. Um, I'm, I'm active with most um, organizations that involve business leaders from coastal Virginia. Um, I've served on you know, most national higher education boards over the last 31 years. And while those experiences impact the reputation of the institution, the service also exposes me to a wide variety of thought leaders of all ages and backgrounds, and, and you learn a lot. And that's what I mean when talking about effective leaders are lifelong learners. Um, and then I guess the final characteristic would be, um, you know, again, effective leaders should be high energy. High energy is, is still my trademark after all these years. And that energy creates organiza organizational opportunity. Yeah, um, thank you for, um, for every bit of that. And <clears throat> if I had outlined all the, the, the organizations that you served and served in the leadership role, I'd still be talking. Um, but I, you know, I want to acknowledge and, you know, and say thanks for, I know the incredible leadership the last several years um, with uh, um, the, the Methodist Colleges um, Collective Association that you've led through a transition, but also on the national level, um, working with leaders across the entire spectrum of higher education, um, um, you're being a, a voice for um, uh, issues related to sustainability are really, really notable and, and really meaningful and no doubt um, uh, have contributed to, um, uh, you know, growth and development and, and staying fresh. So excellent. Thank excellent. you. When you're creating a team, what do you look for in your set of leaders that are a part of your presence? And you kind of 
you know, you may, this may be, um, there may be some redundance in this. So I'll let you take it wherever direction you'd like. Well, um, you know, I look for people who are different from me. And uh, by that, I mean a different skill set. Um, back when we were both young administrators, um, you know, I was led to believe by a trustee that it was the president's job to do everything and to know everything. And I soon found out that that was not the case. Um, you know, I learned and learned by making mistakes. And, um, you know, I look to assemble a team in which each individual is superior in their respective areas and even superior to my level of experience and knowledge on particular topics. Uh, they need to be self-motivated. They need to be self-starters. They need to be goal-oriented. And they need to have an ability to analyze situations and in a clear and succinct way, give me solid advice. Um, we gather each Tuesday for a 90-minute cabinet meeting. We can respectfully disagree, but when we all come out of that meeting, it's my expectation that we're on the same page and that we're all supporting each other. And, and, and by that, I mean, well, a person or two in cabinet may have a differing opinion. When we come out, we are one. We don't, when questioned about something on campus, we don't say, hey, that was Jay's dumb idea. I didn't agree with it, but I went along with it. We are, we are one. Um, you know, through the years, I've also had a, a decent track record of vice presidents who've gone on to college presidencies. And um, if I recruit superior talent, involve them, and support them, uh, they can then serve me well and at the same time fulfill their career responsibilities, their career aspirations. And when that time comes, I'm their biggest cheerleader and supporter. Um, you know, uh, having had involvement with academic search, I hear stories of um, calls that are placed to presidents that say, tell me about your vice president, and it all becomes a story about themselves. Um, I am the biggest cheerleader for my vice presidents when they go for a presidency, and I see it as a badge of honor to have some of some leaders that have spent some time with me uh, contribute to the profession and, and maybe take a particle or two from what they've learned from me and apply it at a new institution. Amen. Amen. You know, part of who we know benefit from leaders on leadership are the participants in our AALI mm -hmm. programs. And I can't let this opportunity go without asking you to uh, offer your advice for those who aspire to leadership in the academy? Well, um, you know, what I'm seeing as a current trend in some areas is particularly disturbing. People that are wanting to be college presidents or college leaders for the wrong reason. And I, I would suspect in the next year when we come out of the pandemic, there's going to be a heavy turnover in leadership positions because some people have learned during the pandemic that leadership is not for them. And, um, uh, you know, my, my philosophy is work hard, have a good attitude, never make the same mistake twice, have good mentors or advisors, and never stop learning. And, you know, for those aspiring to a college vice presidency or presidency, have your institution support you for programs like those offered by the American Academic Leadership Institute, AALI. Um, you know, I'm on the 
the board of that organization and their track record of success in support of the Council of Independent Colleges and American Association of State Colleges and University Institutions has really been remarkable. Um, AALI alums from their programs um, get premier assignments in higher education. And it's a tribute to Linda Blyken um, and the leadership of AALI for the type of program that's put together. So, you know, I, I would recommend to our, our listeners today to, to go to AALI's website. It's www.americanali.org and check out the programs. And again, CIC and ASCU are two huge collaborators. And a lot of the graduates from AALI go on to lead ASCU or CIC institutions. So it, uh, that's a must as far as I'm concerned. Amen, amen. Thank you very much. When you look at where we're at today, um, what are the most critical challenges that you see facing leaders in higher ed? Um, of course, the top of the list um, are diversity and inclusivity issues and also the environment. But um, for the practice of being a president, the biggest issues are the rapid transformation in higher education. Um, the pandemic has brought about new teaching and learning styles that I, I seriously doubt will ever fully return to the instructional techniques of the past. Um, you know, the methodology of the very traditional residential liberal arts experiences has been seriously impacted. Um, this generation is different in how they learn and, and we need to adapt as leaders uh, that to which our institutions do or, or will die. Um, we have 450 colleges in America that call themselves traditional residential liberal arts colleges. Um, their shortcoming is that they replicate themselves. Um, the, the pandemic um, can, has, has forced higher education to really change. And if these colleges continue to go down their current path, many will either die, merge with other institutions. Um, they have to be more responsive to the marketplace and it requires a more creative uh, approach by our institutional leaders. So when, when we were young presidents, um, when we were young, I guess overall, our parents expected our generation to graduate from high school and college was an aspiration. Now, now parents expect a college degree and something more. And that's that something is graduate degrees, certifications, and specialized training. Uh, I, I opened up a, a series of non-credit programs uh, for the coastal Virginia community last week. And the quickest registrants were our own students who wanted an additional shingle or credential on their resume. And these were workforce development programs. So, um, you know, my, my advice in particular to my private college sector is that too many of our institutions are trying to replicate with what each other are doing. They're not being responsive to the trends and they need to be in, innovative, open-minded to new approaches if they're going to be successful. You think it takes a different set of skills, knowledge, maybe even abilities then <laughs> has in the past to be an effective leader? Well, when you and I were young, um, the, the path to the presidency was very traditional. 
Um, most presidents came with academic leadership backgrounds. They had been chairs and then deans and then vice presidents for academic affairs. And, and things are really quite different now. Um, presidents are more like mayors. Um, they're, they're responsible for basic services on campus, infrastructure, but they also have to have a strong political background as well to deal with six, seven, eight different constituency groups. Um, the college president of 2021 has to be really, I think, a master generalist. Um, and, and I would encourage aspiring leaders to pick up a copy of the American Council on Education's study of the presidency because it'll give them a pretty good idea about what that different skill set is and where leadership is coming from. Thank you very much. You know, I, uh, I sometimes ponder whether Father Hesburgh would be um, uh, equally effective. And, I, and I, I actually think the answer to that is yes. So there's some timeless elements, but no doubt, I think acknowledging one of the things that you've really made in a powerful way, that ability to continue to learn and grow and adapt um, was a part of what um, his greatness um, reflected, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think I call it, I've, I've reinvented myself several times. And when you asked earlier about length of tenure at institutions, um, you know, some presidents who've stayed 30 years at the same school, I just think that's unproductive, unhealthy for the individual, and unhealthy for the institution. Um, I think each move that I've made, I've sort of reinvented the approach and become a more effective leader at um, each subsequent institution. Very good. Let's move into what I, I like to call our little more like a lightning round. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is my, uh, you know. Uh, Late uh, night uh, television. No, yeah. Tony, Tony Kornheiser, PTI, <laughs> we're on ESPN, you know, so short. I'll ask you um, uh, short questions. You can answer them at whatever length you would wish. Okay. So who most influenced you, Scott? Um, Jim Fisher, the um, a former university president, uh, former president of the Council for the Advancement and Support of Education, and at one time, the most published writer on the college presidency found anywhere. And uh, he saw something in me that others didn't. And... Um, offered assistance when I was in graduate school um, and he prepared me well for presidential service and I'll always be grateful for that. Excellent. What book has had the most influence on you? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Theodore Hesburgh because there are some amazing books out there by and about him. And um, I think his three or four decades of service at Notre Dame, you can learn a lot just by studying him. But um, I'll still go back to um, Fisher has written several books. Um, his, his book, The Power of the Presidency in the early 1980s, um, has sort of been the, the higher education Bible for me. I used it early on. And then a few years after that, he co-authored with uh, Jim Cook, a retired college president, um, the book Presidential Leadership, Making a Difference. Uh, that book is a close second. But boy, you can't miss on some of these bios that are out there. And Theodore Hesburgh, that series is absolutely uh, wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, and, and thanks for raising up uh, Jim and Jim. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, now I'm going to take you to Buchanan, West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Your favorite 
favorite, fondest memory of your undergraduate years at, at West Virginia Wesley? Um, I'd say late nights working with staff in the newsroom of the weekly student newspaper. And at the same time, I was working late nights in the newsroom at the local daily newspaper. Um, uh, you know, um, my, my advisor back then actually worked for me until his passing. And we've had uh, many stories about some of the editorials that came from those uh, late night sessions at the student paper that, um, that made administrators cringe. So per perhaps I'm a little bit more understanding uh, with our student newspaper authors today as a result of my own experiences. I have no doubt that's fabulous. <laughs> I think back and look back at my uh, my uh, uh, foolish um, youthfulness and, uh, and some of my thoughts from time to time, I will admit. <laughs> How about a favorite campus tradition at some place you've attended or served? Uh, it has to be graduation. And, um, you know, coming from initial service in Appalachian higher education, I take particular delight in seeing first in their family students graduate. The, the enthusiasm and spirit of celebration is just amazing. The sense of pride is just amazing. And to see that our institution would play a role in their future career success is, is just a moment of, uh, of emotion for me as well. It hadn't wavered over 30 plus years, has I, it? No, it hasn't, not one bit. Yeah. Scott, if you hadn't found your way into higher education, what would you have done? I oh, think no. I know some of this, but. Now, now here's probably the real shocker. Um, uh, I, I would probably be an athletic director at an NCAA Division One university. Um, I've, I've, I've always loved college sports and um, uh, was probably headed in that direction when somehow uh, being a speechwriter for a president took me away from doing sports information work as a part of my assignment. And um, I, I guess, um, you know, I've always in 31 years as a president had athletics report to me and some have suggested it's because I always really wanted to be the athletic director. <laughs> I, I guess I feel sorry for the athletic directors in that regard. Uh, I love it. Now, <laughs> now that's in higher ed. Um, uh, what if you had landed outside of higher ed somewhere? Um, and, and maybe maybe you would have been a Pulitzer um, a Prize winning reporter. Well, you know, it, it, it's funny um, that um, I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed newspaper work. And, um, you know, the advisor that I just mentioned who ended up coming to work for me years later, um, he was the one when I was in Buchanan, West Virginia. And after graduation, I, I wasn't making much money and I was working for uh, the local newspaper chain. And um, he, he, he came up to me and he said, you've been out of school now a while. Why are you still here? And I said, well, I got this nice job. And he said to me, um, you know, there are people who write news and there are people who make news. Go out and make news. Quit writing about it. Um, you know, writing has always been sort of a comfort spot for me. I find it soothing, um, relaxing. And um, 
probably the number of uh, newsletters that we do and the the um, social media posts and the like are that I'm a I'm a journalist at heart there too. So you, you've seen two parts of my inner inner personality today. Well, I I deeply appreciate that. You know, one of our customs here on Leaders on Leadership is we like to close by asking our guests to share with our listeners the distinctive qualities, if you will, the organizational DNA that makes Virginia Wesleyan University the very special place it is to you and to those you serve. Well, Virginia Wesleyan University um, is a really special place. And, um, you know, yes, I've served four institutions. I, I really sometimes reflect and say, I wish I had skipped the first three and just come to this one, but then I probably would have violated my own rules on, on length of time staying. Um, you know, the location of Virginia Wesleyan makes it ideal to live, to learn, and to work. Um, we are literally the epicenter of the coastal Virginia community of 1.8 million people. You can draw a small circle around our campus and you have all the value adds that anybody would want. And those value adds are for students, but those value adds are also for recruiting faculty and staff as well. And we have the amenities of the Atlantic Ocean and the Chesapeake Bay. We have a world-class aquarium. We have uh, a world-class Chrysler Museum of Art, world-acclaimed environmental centers and science research centers all very near the campus. NATO's North American headquarters just up the road, and we have a strong relationship there. Um, internship opportunities for students with 104 of the top businesses in the country. Um, you know, an international airport one mile from campus, Amtrak service easily accessing the East Coast, and then just up the road, beautiful Colonial Williamsburg with all that history. I, I could just go on and on and on. I guess that's my Chamber of Commerce pitch. So, you know, if you're a student, you have countless learning opportunities, but also uh, recreation, leisure, and quality of life issues. And that's why a lot of our students come here from outside the area and after graduation stay here because it's all the complete package right here in coastal Virginia. Well, it's a very special place. In, in some ways, um, a, a younger institution than the others that you've served. Um, which also leads to, uh, I can see just what's happened over the last five or six years, the profound impact that you have had. Um, and, um, you, know, um, you know, thanks to um, your leadership and incredible group of champions that you have invested in, um, in, in Virginia Wesley. Thanks, Jay. It's been enjoyable. Well, thank you. Um, we're glad to have had you and appreciate your thoughts and insights. Uh, listeners, we welcome your suggestions or thoughts for leaders we should feature in upcoming segments. You can send those to leadershippodcast at academicsearch.org. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find um, your cast. It's also available on the Academic Search website. Leaders on Leadership is brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. Together, our mission is to support colleges and universities during times of transition and through leadership development activities that serve current and future generations of leaders in the academy. Again, it's been a special pleasure to have 
Um, my very close friend and colleague, Scott Miller on our show today. Scott, thank you again for sharing with our leaders and for your service and leadership in higher education. Thank you.